Our scripture today comes from James chapter 4. Before I read it, I want to mention again, as I did last week, that these words were written by the apostle James to some of the churches that he was pastoring at the time. And while these words are intended for a church or several churches, they also are very appropriate for what is taking place all through the believing churches of our nation. And so I want to make this application in a broader way than just this church or a few churches. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In our message last week, we began to consider the many changes that have been taking place in our nation as a result of the recent election. Changes, especially within the basic moral codes of our culture. Yes, those changes have been building for many years, but they now seem to have quickly accelerated. Changes that are breaking through and breaking down barriers in our moral value systems that were never there before. It seems that the very personality of our nation is changing right before our eyes. Spurred on by an immoral news media, our politicians are making decisions and passing legislation that are changing long-established moral value systems, and they're swinging the doors wide open, wide open to immoral behavior and conduct that are so clearly, so clearly sin-based and so clearly are not in keeping with the truths given in, in these scriptures. And my thoughts are how grieved the Lord must be as he watches everything take place each day. I asked the question last week, and I'll ask it again. What are we as Christians to do? What is to be our response as we live in amongst all of this? In our message at that time, we said that God's first counsel to us can be found in 1 John chapter 2. In those words, God warned us that we must not hold the things of this world too tightly, that we must not love the world or the things in the world. This is 1 John 2, beginning in verse 15. Love not the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Again, as we know, this is not an easy thing for most of us to do, to love not this world. Because this world, even with the chaos that it's in, is all that we know. It's all that we know, all that we comprehend. It's where we live and where we've always lived and we know little else. But everything within us, though, cries out that we must do something. 
We must do something. We must not be passive about all that's taking place. But again, our scripture text reminds us that the choices that we make through these basic human instincts more often than not result in an ungoverned passion that works out in the wrong way. We seem to foolishly respond to the behavior of the fools of this world by doing the very same things that they do, becoming like them and their foolishness, returning evil for evil. And if we don't do that literally, we sure do it in our thoughts. How many of us sit in front of some news report and silently curse those that are either giving the reports or the ones that the media is talking about? When we return evil for evil, we also grieve the Lord. And you and I don't want to grieve our Lord. That's why God gives us these warnings that we read here in our scriptures. He wants to define for us the responses that we're to have to all these difficult matters of our day. Participating, yes, but ever and always from a position of being the salt and the light of the Lord Jesus within a world that is getting darker every day. As I consider the behaviors of those who took part in the Washington, D.C. protests, most of whom were probably well-meaning people, I'm reminded of the counsel that Jesus gave to his disciples about their responses and what those responses should be with the coming troubles that they would experience, especially in those last moments of Jesus' life there in the Garden of Gethsemane. His disciples wanted to fight, you might recall. One of them actually drawing a sword and cutting the ear off of one of their adversaries. But Jesus quickly stopped his disciples from fighting, saying to them, the fight that is raging is on a different level from a physical struggle. And as we read further into these scriptures, we learn that all such battles, all such battles are seldom ever purely on a physical level. They are all very much the spiritual warfare. It's taking place in the world, the flesh and the devil, being waged daily against the children of men and especially against the children of God. My caution and the caution given to us within these scriptures is that as we engage ourselves in the struggles of these days that we're in, that we must be diligent to do as these words of our text warn. We must guard our passions carefully, remembering at all times who we are as children of God and remembering always, even in the worst of difficulty, what we really need to be about. Folks, God would not have you and me to believe that we can fix the things that are taking place in the world right now. That's the mistaken belief system of the politicians, a belief system that continually strives, but always fails, always fails, never seeming to realize that there is an unreachable goal. Our purpose as Christians is very different from theirs. You recall in the parable that Jesus gave, the wheat and the tares. In that parable, Jesus told us that we believers, you, are as wheat. And so as we the wheat are there in amongst all of the weeds, we are to be and remember that we are going to be the bread of life to anyone who will listen. Yes, the weeds then grow up all around us and they intertwine their roots into ours. They're trying always to choke us out. And you can see that taking place all through our, our nation, but especially in our own lives. 
But God's plan is not that we would be rescued out of this chaos that we're in, but instead that we would remain right where we are, living daily in amongst those weeds. And as we do, we're to bring God's message of life to any of those weeds that will listen. Instead of being caught up in the matters of the day and arguing back and returning evil for evil, you and I have to remember that our place and our calling is to give God's message of life to those weeds. For myself, my first instinct is to despise those weeds. I can do that very easily and very quickly. I want to trample them down or do some other violence to them. But as hard as it is for me, for us to believe, some of those people, some of those people that we quarrel and we fight with, according to these scriptures that I read this morning, some of those people that we're quarreling and we're fighting with And they look an awful lot like weeds. They are actually fellow believers. That's what God's warning in these scriptures are. A lot of those folks that we don't agree with, they are fellow believers. Believers who in their zeal for political ideology, they have sacrificed their Christianity, their Christian values for their human ambitions. And if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing. We will do the same thing. And we dare not do that. Those people need our help, not our hatred, not our argument. Also, for those who may be weeds right now, God may, in the fullness of time, call them into salvation and they'll become wheat just as you and me. That might be hard to believe as we stare in the face of some of those that we love to hate. But God may at some point, and we would hope, that He may call them to become wheat just as you and me. And you and I must join with God in His plan for those folks. That's why you and I must ever and always remember exactly who we are, who we are as children of God, and what we are called to do within this crooked and depraved generation of people. This calling that He has made on our lives is a clear example of what the Lord Jesus was speaking about when He prayed the high priestly prayer to the Father in John chapter 17. There He said, Father, I do not pray that You would take them out of the world, Remember, the wheat has to stay in amongst the weeds. He says, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Folks, you and I are where we are in amongst the people that we have influence on by God's own design. He has a purpose for us. And you and I, as we live and minister in amongst all these ever-encroaching weeds, we must be careful, lest we'll be drawn into their behaviors. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he tells us, Come out from among them. Be separate says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now these words seem contradictory to the words I just read where he's going to leave us all in amongst them. And yet here he's saying, come out and be separate. But they are not contradictory. You and I must remain in this world, but not a part of it. As Jesus said, we're to be in the world but not of the world. And that's a difficult position for us to be in. But He's the one that enables us to do it on a moment-by-moment basis. It's as really as, as simple as it sounds. You and I 
must remain in amongst the people of this world in order to minister the gospel to them. But all the while, carefully guarding those passions that rise up within us, passions that lead us to want to fight and to quarrel with those weeds. It's a hard calling that God has put upon us. But that's why in all throughout this New Testament, God instructs us to walk within the abiding presence of Christ who lives within us. He truly is the vine and we are His branches. And you'll recall from Psalm 139, He knows our every thought. We don't hide that from Him. And not only that, the Holy Spirit gives us thoughts to think. And what we have to be able to do is in amongst the furor of all of that, we have to be able to recognize the difference between our own thoughts and the thoughts that the Holy Spirit is putting there that we ought to then reach on forward and start to do those things that the Holy Spirit's instructing us to do. And that's what the book of James is all about. He says you've got to be more than just a hearer of these words. You've got to be doers. And it's only as you are doers that you are carrying forward God's purposes. And again, it is as these words of our scripture remind us, we must carefully guard those purposes of Christ within us. Else, we really will easily get confused and mixed up about what we're thinking and and what these scriptures are really calling us to do. What are the scriptural mandates rather than those that rise up within our own desires and especially from our culture? Because it is amongst all that confusion taking place within the churches right at this moment that is a real problem throughout our nation. I don't know how much you keep track of the difficulties going on between church churches and their church doctrines, but there, there's a great deal of misunderstanding taking place about what the scriptural mandates are and what these cultural mandates are. A current issue that's really dividing the churches in in our nation is a confusion as to what place some of the social issues, the social issues should take within the church bodies. Some of the church leaders in our nation are intertwining social demands with scriptural truths. And the Southern Baptist denomination is struggling right now with this issue. People taking up sides getting confused as to what the scriptural mandates are about social issues and what the cultural issues are. And it's dividing churches. Some people thinking that those issues are all exactly the same. And they'd preach sermons in that direction. But, folks, the scriptural mandates and the cultural mandates are most often, almost never, the same. The demands that regarding those social issues are coming into our churches from the culture and even from our government, and being mandated by our government, and especially with some new legislation that's going through Congress right now. While those people that would support those seem to think that the scriptural mandates and the cultural mandates are the same, again, they simply are not. And I'm going to say that again, because you and I must take warning. Yes, the demands of this world are often very close in wording to the truths of these scriptures, But folks, they will seldom if ever be the same. And if we misapply our passions to accomplish some of the social issues of our day, we will surely go astray of what God intends. And unfortunately, as our scripture here in this text reminds us, that is often where the misplaced passions find their fuel, especially within church bodies. 
God does call each of us as part of His body to love our neighbors. That's a right thing to do. And especially we're to step on one step further, and that is we're to love them as Christ loves them. But how should that love manifest itself within the churches, within the families, even politically, within the public square? Folks, as we carefully consider what our role is to be in all of these social issue matters that are being played out in our political spectrum today, our first and our continual commitment must be to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus, to His holiness, to the holiness of God and to His glory. And our personal desires and the desires of our culture must take second place and sometimes no place at all. The newest legislation on equality, another thing that is making demands upon our Christian values. Folks, we have to be careful. We have to be ever so careful. And I want to keep saying that over and over again because else we will get caught up with our passions supporting something that is not what God supports. And it's hard because our mind gets so well trained by all that's taking place in the world and our own flesh and then what the devil is doing. Our best ideas are probably never going to be the same ideas that God would have. So as we try our best to understand and to live out the meaning of those words, love your neighbor, we must literally force our minds back into the exact words of these scriptures. And not just one time, but continually, so as to keep God's intent instead of our own intent. You and I need to ask, what does God think about immoral behavior? And not just on the national scene, but within our own families and within our own church bodies. We have to continue to remind ourselves that just because we want to forgive and accept and condone and be tolerant of certain sins, that does not mean that God would have us to do that. That's hard for us to accept. But that's not the way God teaches us how to love our neighbor. Remember that while, yes, those sins that others commit do affect us and some of them offend us, the sin itself is never against you or me, against us personally. Sin is a violation of law, and God is the lawgiver. And as David said in Psalm 51, against thee and thee only have I sinned, O God. Yes, David did all sorts of things wrong, from adultery to having a friend murdered, taking his wife. Yes, there was offense against all those people, but his sin was against God. Sinful, immoral behavior, and especially as we see it being played out in our nation, they will always first be against God. And it is Him who will judge a person for their sins. Not you or me. Not you or me. You and I do need to recognize when someone is doing something immoral or if they're sinning. But the judgment itself is always God's responsibility. You and I cannot and we must not usurp the position of God and be the judge of other people's behavior. But listen, Neither should we try to forgive another person's immoral behavior. Does that sound odd to, for me to say that? Because you and I don't have the authority to forgive their behavior. We can help them to continue down their wrong path by giving them affirmation in their sinful conditions. And that's more harmful than it is good to them. And it certainly doesn't meet God's standards. 
The kind of forgiveness that sinful people need must come from God. Christ and Christ alone has the authority to forgive sin. He is the judge. It is Christ and Christ alone who can take away the sins of the world. As for our role in amongst the, this ever-increasing sinful behavior of our world, Jesus told us that he came to seek and to save those who are lost. And he says, just as I have been sent, so send I you. So you and I are being sent to seek and to save those who are lost. We are the ones that are now to minister to those lost ones in the world. We are the means of God's grace. You and I are the means by which God ministers His grace to all those lost and dying people. That's why He left us here as the wheat, intertwined with the weeds. God has plans for so many of those weeds. We don't know what those plans are, except we do know that He doesn't desire that any should perish. And so He's seeking to save them, any that will turn to Him. I have to confess that I have not done a good job of responding rightly to God's call in these matters that are besetting our nation in these present days. My first thoughts as I observe their sinful behavior is that I'm not very generous. I'm often very condemning. I know I should not do that. And so God is generous to me, though, and He reminds me, all of us, in these scriptures that we used to be just like them. We are saved now. But we have to be able to look back and know that we were at one time just like those folks. Can you imagine being just like some of the worst people that you know? Let me read that. This is in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, And He made you, that's you and me, He made you He made alive, who was dead in trespasses and sin. Listen to these words carefully. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's you and me he's talking about. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like all the others. I'm convicted as I view someone in their sinful condition, and I immediately think condemning thoughts of them. I need to realize that I have been just like them. But he tells us here that God is rich in mercy. And for all of those people out there who are caught up in their worldly behaviors and often defiling themselves openly on national television, you and I need to remind ourselves that those people may in fact listen. They may in fact someday become just as you and me, redeemed by the blood of Christ. We need not condemn them. We need to reach out to help them. They are sinners in need of a Savior. And you and I are to do as Jesus. We are sons and daughters of God. And we are to do as Jesus. We are to seek and to save those who are lost. As you and I observe all that's taking place each day, the question that I asked at the beginning, what should our response be? If I ask my friends, I have friends that will immediately tell me, well, we have to take a stand. I agree with that, except I have to caution myself. I have to look back at these scriptures and caution myself that the stand that I take must not be simply some political stand. While my stand may eventually work its way out in some political manner, I must always remind myself over and over again that neither the problems nor the solutions are simply political. 
Political solutions never work. The core of the problems that we're suffering in our nation and in, especially within those, the hearts and souls of those people who call themselves Christians, it is not a political problem. It's a spiritual problem. No matter how much we want to rub political ointment onto a sin, it'll have no lasting effect. The only ointment that will work on sin is the healing balm of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. And so how are we to develop the right response that God wants us to have, especially as we continue to live within this crooked and depraved generation? He tells us in 1 Peter 1, and I'll close with this. He tells us, Therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's to be our response. Let's pray.